one and all to season four, episode eight of Two Guys One Dice Cup. Uh, this episode is entitled The Megatron Cup. My name is Al Goldeneye Unicorn, and hopefully and convincingly, alongside me, I have Phil from Rashes Cairns. Yay! We um, we've got a lot to talk about in this episode of Two Guys One Dice Cup, and. Our main focus is going to be the tournament weekend that I organised and ran, which was called the Megatron Cup. And I'm sure our listeners and our audience have, have heard me talk about it a little bit. And that um, 50% is made up of bowl action, and the other 50% is made up of Blood Bowl. Uh, the, the Blood Bowl side of things is called the Megatron Mega Bowl, and the bowl action side is called the Megatron 3000. Um, so we're, myself and Phil, are going to do a deep dive into the Blood Bowl side of things. I'll give you a quick overview of the bolt action side, because um, that that bolt action content is going to be consumed elsewhere on the internet, um, on other other YouTube and, and podcast channels. Is that our plan, Phil? Yeah, pretty much. And the, the Blood Bowl side's quite um, like good on in terms of... Uh, it was one of the the last kind of practice events before the World Cup uh, in, yes. in in the Scottish calendar. So yeah, we, it's quite yeah. a a good one to to put a bit of effort into talking about rosters and stuff like that. And so good. Yep. And yes. um, we'll we'll touch on it obviously when we get to that. But it was the first time that myself and Phil had been in the same room for a blood bowl competition since. The World Cup in 2019. Now that's a crazy, crazy statistic. Has to be. Jesus. Jesus. No, no, no. I think, I think, no, I think we we were both at Killy Bowl in 2019 as well. Oh, and that was in November. That was in November. You must have been. No, wasn't me. I wasn't there. Christ, so that was, in, that was in 2018. Jesus. Yeah, so um, it, would, it, it was the World Cup. It was, yeah. mate. That was the dark times in Dornburn, Austria. Yeah. Yep, still waiting for the round two draw to come up. Anyway, we can't joke about that. Still haven't, still haven't seen the uh, final standings uh, from the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, coming, we're coming up for uh, the the four-year anniversary of that, obviously, and yeah. there has not been any final standings. Uh, despite me pestering uh, people in power, so to speak, several times, I just got bored of asking them because uh, quite clearly they don't have final standings because it'll pop up some random questions about who actually won the thing. Yeah, um, so let's, so let's, so, let's yeah. not do that. So no. let's let's um let's box off a little bit of our hobby talk before we get into the gaming side of things, um and find out what's been on the table. So Phil, what actually has been on the table hobby wise for you in the in this glorious month we've had? So I think last time we spoke, um, I was uh, conquerors deep in a dwarf blood bowl team, um that I was doing on a commission, um, and I have finished that. Fairly recently, actually, in the last couple of days, I uh, got the uh, final photos done and everything, um, and they are now boxed up and 
weighing their way back to their uh, owner as we speak. Um, so I'll, I'll be putting some photos up over the next couple of weeks of those varying kind of things on social media. So at some point, I will share them across to uh, the two uh, guys' page on Facebook as well. Um, I think they came out okay. We've we've both built and painted the um, uh, the kind of robot team uh, for the dwarves uh, mm-hmm. before you did it. Uh, must be must yeah. be about four or five years ago now. Actually, yeah, yeah it'll be more, mate. Um, because I painted yeah. those when I was in Aberdeen and left Aberdeen in the beginning of 2019. So it would have been like 2018 at the yeah. earliest. Yeah. So yeah. And who who so, made them? So like I can't remember that. <laughs> the guy, the guy I painted them for, did actually send me a uh, link to who they were. Uh, so I'll just have a quick flick back through while we're chatting. Before um, you even say who they were, I'm just going to nip in right now and say I hated these miniatures. I passionately hated <laughs> them. Um, I was really happy with the paint job I managed to deliver on them. You know, so I could confidently send them back to my commission customer at that time. But I passionately hated them, and I will never want to ever paint or own them. And I apologise to the company for that, but it's true. The, amazing. Putting them together. Well, putting them together was horrible. I'll, 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 I'll. Once I found them in here, I'll tell you. It was Titan Forge. That was the the name of the company that made them. Um. So my my putting together of them and your putting together of them, uh, experience sounds very similar because. Um, they were the resin, but they they were quite brittle resin. Um, so there was a few times I felt like I was gonna, like, just totally nail a, an arm or something like that when I was holding it on. Um, but you know, like, I, I once had once had got some paint on them. I quite liked the style of them. Um, they've got a kind of steampunk kind of feel. And it was, you know how sometimes when you get a, a project and you're kind of like, well, look, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'd had a chat with the the guy who was uh, commissioning me to do them beforehand about like paint jobs, and and the fact that he, like half half of the commission was this Titan Forge team, and the other half was a mixture of sideline staff and star players from Grebo, and I was trying to kind of get into my head how I was going to gel these two together so that it worked so he could use them. Um and then I just thought, right, well okay, these guys are dwarves are like clever. They they're always inventing and tinkering stuff. So these are the robots that do the dirty work. Uh and I've I've made them quite um sort of grim darky, kind of they're very they got an oil wash and they look kind of um uh, like like they've been in the in the wars, um, so I'm I'm quite happy with the way they came out. Whereas the uh, color scheme on the Grebo uh, minute side of things is is continuous with the color scheme on the Titan Forge side. Uh, the dwarves are are less uh, grim; they're more um, like um, sort of clean color, uh, clean like clothing and stuff like that. 
So I think it does work stylistically. I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed painting the uh, the Titanforge stuff more than I thought I was going to because I, until I got the paint on it, I couldn't see how how much detail was on them. It was a it was one of those sort of ones where it was difficult to see where I was going with them. But yeah, I it was a good experience um, tying things together, and I think I've done a reasonable job of doing that. And I hope the guy's happy with it. Well, he seemed to be from the from me showing him the photos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's done. What else have I done this this month? Uh, painting, 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 painting. I don't think I've done much else other than that because that was really like the focus. Uh, on the table was getting that one finished and over the line. Um, kids have been on holiday as well, so there's been a bit of stop start oh, with stuff. Yeah. But now, but now I'm. Uh, now I'm past that. I've got a wee bit of time between commissions again to um, to look at doing some of my own stuff, uh, giving myself a bit of uh, of space, um, and then uh, actually the guy the guy I've just finished the dwarfs where he's uh, got got asked me to do another team for him, so uh, he'll be next. In the queue again, uh, some hum- humans that I'm painting from this time round. So, excellent. Um, Good to have a customer. That as well, yeah, yeah. It was a. Uh, he's a. Uh, he's quite uh, like open with what he wants and stuff as well, and uh, open to chatting about it, which is which is good. You know, it's difficult when the person who's asking you to paint something is it hasn't got a an idea or, or any kind of thoughts about it. You've kind of got a. Uh, go with your gut feel for the miniatures, but yep. uh, he's he had some ideas and it it there was there was good talking points uh, uh, for us and um it, it's just whether I've executed it to a point where he likes it and uh, and I think that is the case in this case as well. Good. Um, but other other than that, painting wise, no, nothing else for me. How about yourself? I really had to think. About this one, because um, I can't remember if I said last month that I'd, I just whipped up a uh, slap chopped a whole bunch of British infantry and put them up for sale. Yes, um, yeah, you mentioned that. I had, I had so, um, and included in that was a unit of ten uh, sort of British Indian Commonwealth um, bolt action miniatures, and and they sold really quickly, and. Uh, I was then contacted by one of the guys that had been interested in them and said, look, you know, I, I really need a unit of them. So I had to say to the guy, I said, well, all right, I'll, I'll whip you, I'll whip you up <laughs> 10 guys to order. Um, give me, give me three days sort of thing. And yeah. had to do this in between all the tournament prep I had for, for, for the, 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 Meg, the Megatron Cup weekend. So I whipped up those guys. At some point, I decided that I won uh, a 3D printed Polish bolt action army maybe a year yes. a year or two ago. So I decided that they've been sitting in the cabinet staring at me, and I decided to pull them out and start painting them. So they are about 40% done. So it's a, I think it's like 24 infantry models, a truck that's got fully detailed passengers in it. And nine cavalry models and a couple of officers. So it's a, a nice little starter army. 
Um, so that's about 40% done on the table at the moment, and that's purely being painted for, for sale, because um, I don't have any interest in actually using Poland uh, as a nation for bolt action. Another thing that's been on the table, and this again was on the run-up to the, the Megatron Cup weekend, was scenery. I had purchased, um, out, of, out of my own pocket, for my own collection, um, a bunch of stuff from MicroArt Studio. Uh, they're, they're one of the sponsors from the Megatron 3000 for Bolt Action. And these guys are based in Poland. They, it's, it's, it's MDF terrain, you know, buildings and churches and petrol stations and stuff. And you find that, you know, ten a penny on the internet. But these guys, they print the colour, the detail onto it. Yes, yeah. But not, but, yeah, but not just the outside. They also print the inside and the interiors. And they've, they've always got a little bit more. Uh, they provide the, like, windows, like the, like, plastic for the glass for the windows um, for the buildings. So they're, 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 they're a premium product for what they are, and they're, and they're very good. I'm sure I've spoken about them in the past because they do a really good new range for Infinity, don't they? The Spanish game. Yes. Spanish we had a chat about this last time. It's, very, it's, it's like cool uh, dystopian sci-fi uh, yep. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I was balls deep building uh, that stuff. Yeah, worked great with all sorts of things. Yeah, I've seen, this, yep. I've seen the micro art stuff as, uh, before. It's really nice. Yeah, so I had picked myself up from their new Normandy range, um, a church and a little sort of cafe building and a few extra outhouses and stuff. So all of that was um, I had planned and did it to use as the, the top table for the bolt action event. But it's fiddly as fuck. Far out. I could not believe how much time it consumed building it. Like, you know, one building took, you know, five hours to build. Um, so it was, it was really frustrating uh, that it consumes so much hobby time. But once it's done, you know, these buildings are really good quality. So I'm really happy to have them. Then I had to do uh, a few conversions on some bikes that I got. Uh, like motorbike and sidecar things for one of my bolt action armies, um, you know, like head swaps. And this was the first time. So I picked these guys up, three D printed from another one of our Megatron three thousand sponsors. Uh, they're Mardav miniatures, and they've got an Etsy store. And and uh, this is the first time I had to actually do conversions upon res and. You know, this is this is no critique of them. It was just a discovery for myself. But uh, you know, this particular brand of resin they've used is really brittle. Once you start to um, clip things off, so I ended up um, sawing heads off because the first right. time I clipped the heads off, it took um, like a third of the guy's shoulder with it. Like I was able to glue it back on. None of the detail was lost, but it was at that point I was like, oh. Yes, you're you're dealing. It's not like I haven't worked with resin before. I've built countless Forge World resin miniatures, but this resin it behaved a little bit differently than I had been used to. Um, so it was just one of those hobby lessons I had to learn on the fly. Um, 
So no, I'm not, not disgruntled, but it was just a bit of a, you know, when you have to learn something new and you don't, you, you think you know it, you know everything. Yeah, I think I think a lot of folk kind of fall into that trap with uh, having worked previously with uh, like spun cast resin uh, versus three D printed resin as well. Uh, that that yeah. ends up with a lot of uh, a lot of people getting confused because, like you say, it doesn't behave the same at all. It's more much more difficult to to kind yeah. of you got to be a bit more gentle. I think sawing is probably the best idea uh, from those. So yeah, yeah and I, I, I was I was just fortunate that I had I had little sort of micro saw type pipe tools lying around from whatever reasons I had them. Um, so no, look, hobby wise, it's been pretty productive for the time that I've been able to dedicate to it. All my other hobby time has been administration work for yeah. the Megatron Cup weekend. Um, which I do not begrudge a minute of it because, as as we we're going to talk about, it, is, it was a brilliant weekend of wargaming in Scotland. Yeah, I, I was just uh, thinking about what else I did uh, uh, painting wise. I painted my team for uh, Mega Bowl as well. So <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, so yeah, I did. I did do something else. So with with that. The next little game that we play, as our regular audience will be aware, is that myself and Phil, um, we have to own up and uh, so how much money have we spent on our hobby this month? Now, uh, the game the game comes in the way that we're members of lots of different chat groups and we communicate loosely with each other during the month, but we never exactly tell each other what we've bought or what money has escaped out of our wallets. Um, so we each get three three guesses uh, to determine who, how much the other has spent. And uh, usually it, it sounds more like a confessional that you would give to a priest at the end. <laughs> yes. um, and, it's, and it's the part of the podcast that, you know, my wife, my wife doesn't listen to our podcast, thank the Lord. Because she would shit a chicken at some of the some of the numbers that have come up in the past. Neither, neither does mine, but I'm pretty sure she knows or has at least got a kind of rough uh, idea. Because occasionally, like I'll be like, because I mean, just in case I drop dead or something like that, I kind of feel like I have to make things a little bit easier for her uh, and, <laughs> say, and remind and remind her that there are some things within my collection that are fairly rare and mm-hmm. should be uh, should if she ever has to sell them should should command a, a rare a rarity price um so yeah i think sometimes she she kind of knows uh <laughs> knows that if someone's coming through the door it's a uh, not a it's not gonna have been cheap so th- this Which was one of those months so wait um who do you want to go do you want me to go first for you yeah, yeah, you can go first. Now, our yeah. regular audience will know that Phil has got a ridiculous addiction to Old Hammer and obsessively yes. is trying to collect, um, was it fourth edition Warhammer Fantasy army books? Yes. Yes. That, that's, now, I that's, know. That's... <laughs> I know that a few more of those snuck in through the door. And I also am pretty damn sure that there are a few more miniatures that stealth in. So that means 
this month has to be about £135. Oh, fuck me. It's more than that, mate. Oh, fuck's sake. What's that? Oh, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to arc it up to 200, uh, sorry, to 187. All right. You're you're so close, so close with that. (gasps) So close. Did I get it? Did I get it in two? What is it? What did you do? No, no, you're you're still. It's that's still that's a little bit more, uh, but you're close. So we're gonna go for one seven nine. Uh, you're you're pretty much on the nose there. One seven eight pounds and oh. eight pence. Jesus, um, that's a good good guess. So, right. So confess. <laughs> what did you get? Do you, want to, do you want to know what I got? You want to know what yes, I got. Got. Everybody wants to know what you got. Right, so I only had uh, two um, Warhammer Fantasy 4th Edition books outstanding on my collection. And they were the Wood Elf uh, and Chaos Dwarf books. Um, the Wood Elf one's a bit weird because occasionally it just kind of fluctuates in price and like you see it shifting for like twenty five quid or thereabouts on eBay, uh, but then all of a sudden, like there'll be one that turns up and somebody's put on a buy it now uh, or what have you, or you just strike lucky and and get it for less. So I, I got I picked up the Wood Elf one uh, for fifteen quid, which which is fine. I don't mind paying that for a book. That's pretty much what I expect to pay for a, a book. Uh, the Chaos Dwarf one, on the other hand, is a nightmare. Um, considering, as far as the books go, it's not one of the better ones in terms of balance, uh, because it was literally just cobbled together from White Dwarf uh, uh, articles and stuff. Articles, yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, but um, it, it still commands a, a fairly high premium um on ebay and i've seen it shift over the last couple of years when i've since i've been watching the the books themselves uh, i've seen it shift varying prices from um like sort of as little as sort of 55 60 pounds up to sort of 80 to 90 pounds so uh thankfully um, I managed to grab it at the bottom end. Uh, managed to pick up for sixty, um, but um, it was the the last one in the uh, in the in the group that I needed to get. Well, I, I say that there's one more. There's the Chronicles of War um, kind of collection of like White Dwarf battle reports. Um, yeah. That that one I don't have, uh, but I'm I will pick that up at some point. I'm sure. Uh, but it's it's another one that that it's a stupid uh, price uh, that tends to be about thirty thirty five pounds, which for something that's just literally battle reports, um, I could easily get all the white dwarfs that they were in probably for less than that thirty five pounds. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I said, I'll pick for from a completist sake. I'll pick that up at some point. Um, what else did I get? So I got. You know, sometimes people like label things on eBay and you see them and you're like, this person has made like a pig's ear of labeling this and I'm unless somebody else notices it, I'm going to get this for 
less than I should be paid for it by all rights. Um, yes, on occasion I have seen this, yes. So I uh, I have a couple of kind of save uh, words words searched on uh, uh, eBay where I've got like uh, like a list of things, and I just check them periodically from time to time. Um, one of them is the the phrase Warhammer lot, uh, because okay. a lot of people just bung stuff on there under like lot three, lot four, whatever, and. I was scooting through that um, one day, and I saw like the one one of two actually one or two Nurgle champions that I don't have, and it's it's the one that's that's the most expensive. Like this one goes for like fifty quid easy in private sales on uh, uh, like Old Hammer Community, um, and it doesn't appear very often. I think it must have just been one that was fairly low on the list of priorities for people at the time. Uh, it's a guy holding an axe and he's got a nurgling on his head. Um, and it it was a slap bang in the middle of the photo of this uh, of its itself and three and two other miniatures, one of which was another chaos warrior and the other is a, a complete loss on me. I've got no idea. I've never seen it before. Uh, so it might not even be GW. And after having been stripped, uh, it's uh, a spoiler alert. I won the, <laughs> I won the, I won the lot. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, after having stripped it, it's uh, a couple of its fingers has fallen off. Uh, so whether it was a good quality one, to dismiss the tab, uh, I'll identify it at some point, I'm sure. But anyway, I got the lot for twenty four pounds and nine pence. Um, so I mean, I could sell the other Chaos Warrior for probably about seven or eight pounds and i don't know what this other guy's worth but i mean uh like i don't i don't intend on keeping him either so i'm probably going to come in fairly fairly keen on that one <laughs> but i will have paid what i would expect to have paid or had paid for all the other nurgle champions uh, of the same era um so that that was that one and then i also got um, somebody put up a lot like I've been the Marauder Miniatures uh, Giant Black Orcs so the MM27 ones uh, I painted one up for October last year and like there was four sculpts um, and I was uh, missing two of them um, and I saw somebody put up um, uh, four Black Orcs so one I had already and two of them that I didn't have, and a random, uh, I think it's a, a Nickland Chronicle or an Iron Claw Black Orc. One of one of the one of the two I can't remember. Um, so that came in at twenty three ninety nine, uh, and it was a buy it now. And I just thought, well, fuck, I would pay fifteen quid each for those uh, Black Orcs. So if I could get uh, two two of them for less than that, and have another two minis, I could use. That's a fairly ste a good steal on that front. Yep. Um, pick them up. Um, the other thing that I got, which was kind of like a birthday present to myself, was um, uh, a bunch of stuff from old school miniatures. I've mentioned them on the uh, podcast before. Uh, they do a range of uh, 
sort of old uh, old hammer influence chaos dwarves <clears throat> and i bought uh, the um um one of their sets of boar centaurs um back like two or three months ago and i picked up the other set and the command squad for them um a general on foot um some banner bearers and uh, musicians for stuff and what else was there there was a general on a boar with two heads um and, and i got like uh i got all that for like 50 quid 55 quid uh in metal um so they'll the boar centaurs will will be used in my uh warhammer fantasy battle army um because i think they fit the realm of chaos aesthetic better than the bull centaurs do um so yeah I, i've managed to get quite a lot of stuff um and yeah. every month i say I'm, I'm at the end of what i'm looking for and every month i lie because i keep seeing stuff like oh i remember that model <laughs> there are a few kicking about that i that i'm i'm watching at the moment as well so i expect next month will be fairly fairly heavy on the old uh coffers as well possibly well that's your addiction mate that's that's doing that to you you're you're buying stuff and then you're seeing more stuff that it's connected to always going to be sucked in it's great it is it's it's better than drugs um yeah like i i, I just kind of like, there are i mean it's not a case if i'm not aware of a lot i remember every now and again i have a flick through um like the um oh what's it called the stuff of legends uh um site and there's a like a proper catalog of the marauder miniatures stuff on there and there are loads of things from um like um factions i'm not i'm not interested in the faction but i like the individual miniatures so there's a few mm -hmm. from the wood elves um there's a few from um the dwarves and stuff like that, that i like as well um so i mean i will end up picking up a few of these things here and there and uh, just just because i like the model um so yeah, it's a never-ending thing. Never-ending. Right, let's think about your shit. How much have you spent? I reckon you've had a a lean month this month. Um, well, that would be a, that would that would be a good guess because I totally shit the bed last month when I was over almost like four hundred pounds. Yes, yeah. I reckon you have spent thirty-five pounds. Less. Ooh. Um, I have spent. I what? have spent money, and it's less than that. Twenty-one pounds. I will give it to you right there, because nice. it's it's twenty quid on the nose. Nice. And this was one of those. This was one of those opportune buys where you see a job lot, or like a series of things for sale appear on a Facebook marketplace, and yes. they. You just swoop in and just put your hands up. So it was a it was a bunch of um, bolt action miniatures, but they were single miniatures. They were all special edition or limited release models. Um, one of them was the 
This is from Band of Brothers, Band of Brothers, Dick Winters, uh, and he was this miniature was released in two thousand and fourteen. Um, I believe it was for an event in the United States called Historicon. Um, I've already I've already got one, and I've got one. I've painted it, and I use them in my in my one of my um, my American army. But I've seen him here, and he was at a really sharp price. So I thought, yes, I'll have that. Then there was another the Band of Brothers miniature, uh, Lieutenant Spears. And he was only given out if you spent over like £100 from Warlord Games. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure how many were in the marketplace, but I think he was like 2018, 2019, 2018. Um, so I've got one of them already, but I've seen another one. I really should It's like, yep, scoop them up. And there was one other miniature. I think it was like a German soldier surrendering. And I can't remember what where he came from. I hadn't I didn't own one, hadn't seen one before. Um and I'm quite up to speed on sort of official warlord games, bolt action miniatures, so um I scooped him up as well and, and I messaged the seller and said, Look, yeah, I'm your man, I'll take them, PayPal, all the bells and whistles. And then God bless him, he messaged me back to say, Look, I've been told I'm I'm selling these too cheaply. Um I was like, well, okay, what what, what price do you want to give me? And he gave me a new price, and it was still quite a sharp price, so I still went ahead with the sale anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sort of, you know, put a few quid to, you know, spite myself. Um, but a funny thing that he did, and I'm sure it was for postage reasons, he asked if he could take the miniatures out of the blister packs and condense them into one. Right. And And I said, yes, of course. Now, on one hand, you would think that that's him preventing me from reselling them at a profit, which, if that's the reason he did it, that's fair enough. Uh, the reason he gave was to, to make it easier to post, you know, more cost-effective to post, which, again, it makes sense. Um, but for me, I have got no desire to resell them. I, I want them again to paint them to add to other, another American army that I want to do. Yeah, and I like I like the miniatures and I like the characters that they that they represent. So, um, it was a lean month after a really really expensive month, but I um I truly never had that much time to spend money this month. It was uh, too busy. Yeah, too busy doing tournament prep. The, those groups on on Facebook are very very hit or miss. Mm -hmm. Like you get like a lot of. Like odd people in them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess I, that's just representative of the, of the hobby. Um, but in general, yeah. but I'm, uh, I'm going to dive in for a quick rant here. I've got um, one as well. I was boiling, uh, boiling to, yes. to rant a little bit as well. But yeah, you, you okay. go first. We're we're going to rant. We're on a rant before we get to the Megatron Cup. So when people chime in on these sales pages with advice or comments that are not related to buying it, just go away. I, I want to swear a lot. Just fuck off. If somebody has set the price for something and you don't like it, you don't need to say anything. If, you know, it's buyer beware market. Just go away. Um, I 
there, there's a there's a bunch of limit there's a limited edition miniature from Warlord Games that you can only get at Warlord Games sponsored events. And I'm and it, it was my favourite model of last year. It was the enemy at the gates, German sniper. Um, oh, yeah. Ed Harris. The Ed Harris character. Yep. Now I I go to a lot of Warlord Games sponsored events and, and I'm a, and I'm a really good player. So I've I've had more than a few of these things come across my desk. And I choose to sell them. And I set my price and I sell it. But the amount of flack I caught over one of them from all over the world, people, you know, bemoaning as to why I'm selling it. And it sold within half an hour. But it still was enough time for people to have a big ass whinge at me for, you know, profiteering or, you know, basically saying I should, you know, people shouldn't be selling these models because they're so special. Why are you, why are you selling them? Um, it just really grinds my gears. And I guess on the flip side of that is I'm not I'm not moaning about having to spend a few extra quid um, on the models I just mentioned buying. But if somebody set a price and somebody's willing to pay, then let it happen. Uh, yeah, just go over yourselves, internet. You really annoy me some days. There are yeah. I mean, there are there are times where you think right, okay, well, like that is quite low. But I mean, we don't know what the person's motivation for selling it at that price is, and we're not there to judge their motivation for selling it at that price. They may want to make sure that somebody who is very keen on that particular thing is getting it at a price which is good. You know, they mm-hmm. they may be like, "Well, I've got two two of these. I don't need the second one. I want somebody to enjoy this model." Um, like yeah. a, a really cheap price, I'm giving back to the community. So, like, who's to say that somebody isn't doing that? And I have actually yeah. seen people on a couple of the, the groups I'm on uh, hit back at people who are saying you're selling this too cheaply. With that exact response, uh, I am selling this at a price I want to sell it at because I want somebody else to have this to enjoy. I don't want uh, somebody to. Who, who doesn't have it to have to spend a ridiculous amount to own something that I paid like £3.54 30 years ago. Um, yeah. So you do have uh, you do have people who have different motivations for things. You have some people who've just got like no idea and have just like uh, come up with a random price and, and have stuck with it. And yeah, you might sell something for less than it's worth, but at the end of the day, that balances out. You'll buy things for less than they're worth as well. I've done exactly the same. You know, like I've oh, yeah. I've overspent on things to make sure I get them, and then yeah. I've uh, I've also like lucked out and got stuff for significantly less um, yeah. as well. And, and it's about that balance and that thing. I'm, I'm, I've told the story before on this podcast that the very first time I got one of these special figures at a tournament. Um, the very, the first time I saw it, I walked past a box set that was worth eighty eighty five pounds, mm-hmm. but hadn't been released yet to get one of these guys because I knew that it's like I want one, um, and I don't know how often I didn't know how often they were going to come up. Um, yeah. So you know, I've 
feel like I paid my dues to make sure I got one for myself. And, um, you know, if I'm for this particular thing, I set a price that I thought was fair, taking into account that if it's for people that, you know, you have to travel to a tournament, pay the ticket for the tournament, get your food, you know, all those sort of ancillary expenditures around going to an event on the chance that you might win one, you know, so you have to be good, plus also buy tickets, etc., etc. Or I've set a price to, I'm not going to say what the price was, I'm just, I set a price that I thought was, was reasonable for the price of the miniature, the fact that you didn't have to travel or buy a ticket or even have your army painted and prepped and ready or spend a whole day playing. I set a price that I thought, right, you can just substitute that. Almost like those, um, you know, players for online games like World of Warcraft or, you know, any, you know, role-playing game that decide to spend real-life money to buy kit for their character instead of grinding out to, you know, earn experience points and all that stupid daft stuff that they do. Um, is that. You know, yes. it's a, it's a, spend some real money to cheat your way, well, not cheat your way, but to, you know, get your way to the place where you want to be. Uh, that was a good rant. Yeah. Feel better for it. Should we talk about the Megatron Cup now? I, I've got my wee rant. You're not getting... Oh, you're not getting yep, rant, I'm not. Rant, sorry. So. I, yes. Um, rant. So... You 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 maybe caught some of this on online. Uh, so I, I I've got a good idea of prices for things most of the time, and I do a lot of research on stuff. But some things uh, are difficult to price, um, and and occasionally I'll ask for a valuation on something in term to with a view to looking at then converting that into. A, uh, want to buy at that price um with once i've got like a a, a cross section of what people's opinions are on how much something should be i've done that a fair few times over the years just to kind of get a like a test of the waters like ebay is quite good for that i mean you can filter things uh sold um and completed but only to a certain extent now because they've cut the amount of time uh, that they show historical sales from uh, from six months down to a month, I think now. Mm-hmm. Is that so you right? don't have that wide you don't have that wide spell of of saying, "Well, look, okay, I can see this has got this has gone up like in the past six months. It's now selling for this amount." So you might just be snapshotting it now at a month when it's really high, and if you averaged it out over like four or five months. It's completely in- inaccurate. You're going to be you. You're going to be asking for trouble by putting like a wild price in, or you might get a really low month and you get loads of folks saying, "Oh, you'll never get it for that sort of thing." Um. So I am looking for some plastic crossbows at the moment, the black ones that you used to get on a sprue of four. Um. Back with uh, numerous of the crossbow toting. Uh, miniatures from the late 80s and early 90s so i put up a valuation post on one of the old hammer groups a bit of context here there's two big old hammer group groups for sales and valuations and trading one of them is really good the other one is 
full of assholes. Uh, <laughs> most of the assholes are the admin and the moderators, not the people who are using the group. And occasionally I forget which one I'm posted in because they're very similar and they've got the same people involved in them and stuff like that. Um, so I posted in one of the groups and my post got declined. And I'm like, all right, okay. I, 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 you get like a, a reason why it's been declined. And I'm looking at the reason and I'm like, I've got no idea why he's referring to these rules because I've not broken either of them. Um, but he put at the bottom of the thing, you must state a price that you want to buy for, uh, and told me how much I had to put on on the, the thing. So I thought, oh, well, we can play this game then if you want. And I, I put in a, a reasonably sarky uh, sort of edit to the post to get it through, fully expecting it to not go through uh, and to be told to remove what I'd put in there. Um, but then next day it was approved uh, and i was like oh fair enough you know like uh, we'll see what happens and then the first person to comment on it was an admin telling me to change my post and i'm like amazing what <laughs> so i pretty much said that to him. i was like oh i could do you understand what you're you're doing here because like you're telling me how much i'm i I'm asking for a valuation because I want to know how much these things cost because I want to buy some and I want to put I want to buy in, but I don't know how much to put in it. But you're telling yep. me I have to put something in here. Are you fucking thick? Like, you know, like what what about this don't you understand? Um and eventually kind of like it kind of escalated a bit not on my my part i kind of drew a line under it and just left it uh edited the post uh, uh to remove the bit that was sarky but there was a bunch of other people who were exactly the same as me you'd be like what is your problem like <laughs> to the admin like, what is it what, what do you not understand here why is this wrong it's not breaking any rules in the group there's zero problem with doing this you know like if somebody's asking for a particular price on something like why would you stop uh why would you stop them from doing that like what what is the, what negative uh are they bringing to the group by doing that and it, it's the guy then deleted a bunch of those posts and it prompted another uh, one of the, those guys who had this post deleted to put up a big thing about it and then one of the other uh, admins had a go at me in the post. I hadn't po posted in the post at all. And I went back in and was like, hold on a second, mate. Like, for starters, you, as the admin, approved my post with that written in it. You know, like, if you don't want me to be sarky, don't approve my my post. Tell me that you don't want yeah. that written in it before you approve it. Again, are you, are you thick? You know, like, if this isn't me... You're the ones who brought it into the public domain, not me. If you'd said to me, "Well, okay, just please, uh, we'll remove this, remove this, and we'll 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 do it behind the scenes," I probably would have had a whinge at them and a um, a message about it and said, "Well, look, you're not being particularly reasonable. None of this makes any sense." But the dialogue was so cut, and you must do this. There was no room open for uh, for dialogue at all. Um. And I think I think kind of 
the, the, the vast majority of people who were posting under that particular post from the other person were the same saying, oh, the, the admins here are, are being unreasonable and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just kind of, I'm still a member of the group, but I won't, I won't use it for, for anything unless I see something that I want to buy in it. I'm not going to interact with stuff. I used to, I used to advise people on prices a lot in that group, uh, but I just won't bother anymore. I'll just uh, make sure it, uh, it only goes in the other one. Uh, Cause, uh, and the admins are to blame for that, to be honest, uh, with their shitty attitudes. Um, so that's my rant. Shit admins on shit groups. Bloody admins. People, people on power trips. That's what they are. Fucking little Go Hitlers. On. Shit, I totally strawmanned that. Yeah. So it's nice <laughs> well, it's okay. What about talk about a little bit about World War Two? Nazis are good. Well, they're a part of it. Mm, not good. They're um, definitely not good. No. no Under uh, like delete. Bad guy. They're the bad guys. Bad, 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 in fact, every bad. In guys. fact, in, in war, everybody is bad. All bad guys. Anyway, everybody's so, a bad guy. In August, at Common Ground Games in Stirling, Scotland, there was a two-day event that was um, organised by myself with with particular help from my friend Ant Purdy, called the Megatron Cup Weekend. And it comprised of a bowl action event on the Saturday and a Blood Bowl event on the Sunday. And for players that participated in both events, they competed for an overall trophy um, known as the, the Megatron Cup. This, this was my brainchild, um, which has been, been brewing for a couple of years and started last year when I, when I ran the, the very first Megatron 3000 bowl action event in 2023. Um, adding the Blood Bowl event then enabled me to do the, the, the cup that, that, that crossed over both events. And uh, lo and behold, there were many dropouts and players got replaced, but eight players took part over both events, and I lovingly called them the Hateful Eight. And uh, the winner of the Megatron Cup was a gentleman by the name of Topher Buckle. And um, I think he was a very happy winner. Um, Obviously, his strength was in the bolt action side of things. He finished second overall. Um, but when it came to Blood Bowl, I think he finished twenty fourth somewhere in the deep in the middle. Yeah, twenty fourth, so, middle of the gate, middle yeah. of the gate. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But it, it it means that the weekend ran, and um, what myself and Phil are going to do now is that I am going to talk a quick bit about the bowl action side of things, as I mentioned earlier in our recording. Um, that'll be dissected in depth more on other other channels. And after that, we're going to do a deep dive into our Blood Bowl experiences on the Sunday. So for bolt action, uh, I had 46 players attend, which made it the biggest one-day event for bolt action that there has ever been in Scotland. To my knowledge, and I'm pretty sure my knowledge is sound, because I think I've been to just about everything that has been in Scotland. Uh, and what that meant was that Oh, actually, you know what? When everybody when everybody checked in, I was absolutely stunned that everybody actually checked in that morning. I could not believe all forty six players showed up. I thought for sure that I would have at least one dropout, and and I had a spare player on hand. 
a gentleman by the name of James Wiggins, and I have to say a thank you out to him uh, for just hanging out with me all day. The one thing that's unique about that bolt action event that that I think is a draw card for the players is that uh, we use what are known as theatre selectors that come from the campaign and expansion books that are published by Warlord Games. And once a player selects the theatre selector they want to use, it then becomes off limits to everybody else. So what it does is it drives unique armies and unique sort of historically themed armies to show up to the event. Uh, without any sort of great input by myself, so I don't have to restrict players on what they can and cannot take, simply that once they pick a theatre selector, they don't get to, nobody else gets to choose it. The one huge element, though, of the event was the sponsorship uh, that different companies provided, and what that meant was that everybody in the room that day, all 46 players got to walk away with a I call them a prize and from a prize table, but they got to walk away with a tangible product, uh, regardless of where they placed. And I know that you know in the past myself and Phil discussed, you know, how much value you know can be ever placed upon that. But uh, in terms of trophies, trophies only went to first, second, third, uh, and the wooden spoon. Uh, there were no other, there were no other trophies um, handed out. So. You know, rewards. The rewards were there for the players that did well. But at this juncture, I would really like to thank Warlord Games himself, who are the manufacturer and uh, of Bolt Action and the, the, the prize support they sent along. Rubicon are another miniatures company who sent along uh, prize support, and they do a fantastic range of um, World War II vehicles, and they've also got a range of Vietnam. Uh, infantry and vehicles as well. Footsore miniatures. They provided uh, a single miniature for everybody. They went in their gift bag, and they also provided a prize for the Blood Bowl day on the Mega Bowl. Osprey Books. They are the publishing arm that put out all of the bolt action um, campaign and rule books, and they sent five of those along. Any scale miniatures are a company based in Scotland that produce uh, vehicles in 28mm plus um, ruined buildings and scenery. Co-ed designs or KO designs, I've never been able to sure how to pronounce them, but they produced uh, dice bags that come out of Sweden. Game Mat EU, uh, they provided a double-sided 6 foot by 4 foot gaming mat. Micro Art Studios, I've mentioned them already in this podcast, but they sent along uh, several of their new Normandy range of buildings, um, again, for the for those that provided scenery. Exit 23 Games, uh, Die Waffenkammer, Demonscape. Demonscape are the company based in Scotland, uh, run by a gentleman called Terry Millard. He did our trophies and some of the gift dice that went out to different players. Alba Studios, another company based in Scotland up in Aberdeen. Uh, they do 3D printing and commission painting for World War II miniatures. Mardav 3D printing. Uh, I, the gentleman there, I can't thank enough for the price support they sent. They sent um, gifts for um, 3D printed vehicles. 
Pano went into the hands of a lot of good players, so they were very appreciative of that. Uh, and I'm also going to be doing a, a painting tutorial uh, on another channel in the future using one of the Mardav 3D printed miniatures that I bought for myself. Uh, 3D Printing Valley, another 3D printing company, they've got an Etsy store. Uh, they provided, again, fantastic price support with um, vouchers, and I think each voucher would should give a player um, a, some sort of 3D printed vehicle or troop choice. First core miniatures sent, I think, <laughs> I've always talked about first core miniatures. Um, however they package their boxes up, it's like the TARDIS. This tiny little slip of a box arrives, um, but as soon as you open it, Everything, all these metal miniatures spill out, and you can never repack it again. Uh, and they sent a whole bunch of British, British Expeditionary Force stuff along, which was just amazing. I, I love first core stuff. Uh, Weldon Tabletop War Games, they're an online retailer, and they also do a lot of, um, I was going to call them trade shows, but they're not. They, do, they go to a lot of um, World War II reenactments in the south of England. Um, and they sell their, their stalls there, so they sell, obviously, bolt action, other um, historical war games, and uh, lots of um, scale models as well. Uh, war Games Atlantic, they produce, again, uh, their own game called Zero Two Hundred Hours. It's a skirmish World War II game, very much in the style of um, commando raids that would have been performed during World War II. But in addition, they also offer a huge range of models. And the one great thing about War Games Atlantic as a manufacturer is that one bot, and they, they sent quite a few boxes for us, but they sent their World War II German Sentry box, and it has 40 models in it, which is just ridiculous. I have no idea how they packed them in. It was crazy days. I, I, when this came out, I was envious of the players that were going to get a chance to win it. Um, Hamel by Mike Jimenez. They are, I think they're virtually the go-to company for um, scale miniature weathering products. Uh, and I, I, I've spoken a lot about Hamel products as well on this podcast because I use them quite a bit. Uh, especially their solutions box, which I've used to do my Soviet vehicles. But they provided um, a 30 euro voucher for the best painted army and also for the best painted team for the Blood Bowl Day, which I thought was really special for them. Um, so it was really awesome of them to support twice uh, like that. And then the last one was a, a terrain company called Wayland Utani Terrains, and they sent over vouchers for first, second, and third place for the Megatron 3000. So there were 18 key sponsors for the Megatron 3000 Bolt Action Day. And I, I cannot thank them all enough. And I've asked all the players that attended that got some of their products in their hands to, to help further promote, um, promote those companies. And, and, and they have done. And uh, yeah, you, they all went on to make, to make the day special. The, the gaming, you know, I made the joke that there were 69 games played and uh, they were all played in the, you know really good spirits and and uh, the terrain supplied by the community as well to make um, you know 
23 tables worth of terrain and and that was the capacity of the venue the, yeah. I, you cannot fit more than 46 players on six by four foot tables in that venue and it was a sellout so yeah amazing super happy cannot I'll look forward to doing it again next year exactly as i did it this year no changes Yeah, I, I, there was a couple of people from up here went on the Saturday um, and really enjoyed it, I think, uh, as a whole, you know. So I think, yeah, it sound, sounded like a good day. Yeah. And so the next day, being the Sunday, it was the first time that the Megatron Mega Bowl had run. And again, I, I have to thank my friend Ant Purdy, or um, his dad's name is Perdindas. He did a good amount of the heavy lifting to, to get this get this day running, um, just with a lot of my focus being on the bolt action day because bolt action went from it went from twenty six players last year up to forty six players this year, so it was the, the the volume of work increased quite dramatically for me. Um, but for bolt action, we um, I just wanted to make the day for its first year just to some simplicity and to try and establish it within the Scottish tournament calendar and the Scottish community and it was also that element of that I hadn't been physically active in the Scottish community for a number of years even though I still play online uh, we, we've got our, our Blood Bowl podcast I'm still you know immersed in the Blood Bowl game but not actually physically there and I tell you what I almost felt like a reintroduction of myself or reintegration of myself into that community, which I really, really, I don't know if people really understood how much it meant to me on that particular day to be amongst those players. Um, and I guess I'm using our, our podcast as a platform now to tell them that, um, you know, there's a lot of emotions going on that day. And it just it came up on bowl. But for me, it was seeing so many old friends and old faces but then also starting to meet all the newer characters that our community has developed over the past couple of years. It, it, I was really, I was really happy um, and quite emotional for the sort of early part of it. But to make to make the day run, we were using the tour play um, online scoring system, which I think is should now really just be an industry standard. Um, for Blood Bowl, just its ease of use and ease of interaction and to make it less complicated for ourselves I decided to pluck the 2023 Alicante World Cup pack uh, as, the, as the player pack for um, team creation for the Megatron Cup sorry, the Megatron Mega Bowl yes and the big crunch thing about this was that it finally put myself and Phil in the same room, which was very special. Even though I, I think I hardly got to speak to you the entire day because there was just too much going on. Yeah. We, we spoke a wee bit, but not, not as probably as much as we could have done, I guess. Yep. So what myself and Phil are going to do now, unless you can tell me if I've missed anything out, Phil? Uh, no, not, nope. We're good. Nope. So what myself and Phil are going to do now is we are going to talk about the teams that we took and the three games that we played. And I think after me having said so much already, you should start, please, Phil. 
Right. So, um, do you want do you want me to go through all all three of my games, uh, or shall we go through game about? Game about. Well, if you you talk about your roster, I'll talk about yes. my roster. Then you talk about your game That's one, right. my game one, your two, my two, blah blah blah, um, and then we'll intersperse it with a few comedy um, moments, com- yeah. stories so, along. So I took Chaos Dwarves. Um, the last time I played Chaos Dwarves was in 2019 at uh, Killy Bowl. Um, I was quite drunk. I think I was probably drunk by half past eight in the morning. Uh, I'd been out the night before. <laughs> I'd been out the night before and not got back in until about two or two or three o'clock in the morning, and then I so I was I was still drunk. And I started drinking in the car on the way down. It was one of the few tournaments I went to that I I hadn't been driving at uh, to, so I made the most of it. And as a consequence, did not play very well. And uh, I was going, I was hoping to use Mega Bowl as an opportunity to rectify uh, my shit Chaos Dwarf uh, ranking uh, and uh, and do something about that. So my team, I took. Uh, six blockers, six Chaos Dwarf blockers, two Bull Centaurs, uh, one, two, three, four, five Hobgoblins, um, three rerolls, um, and then I got like a, an assistant coach on top of that as well. Um, in terms of the skill choices, I took three guard on blockers. Mighty blow on one blocker and then block on both the bull centaurs. So that's that was my my team. How about yourself? What did you take? So for me in the early stages, I didn't know if I was going to be playing. So well, I guess I didn't know if I was going to be playing, so I was going to act as the spare man, um, just because I was the, the the TO for the event alongside Ant. Um, you know, as as our audience, you know, may or may not be aware, but our 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 friend David Miller passed away um, about this time last year. David was a very good friend of mine, and um, through one thing or another, I have I have come into possession of a couple of his old old Blood Bowl teams, including the Dwarfs, which he played quite a lot. So I thought from my very first tournament that, you know, I could be back playing, um, I would use his his miniatures. Uh, so I stuck myself down for dwarfs, and I went with two troll slayers, one runner, uh, and then, how many of these old goobers did I get? Seven dwarf blockers and two dwarf blitzers, so I've got 12, I've got 12 players. Uh, went with three re-rolls, one fan, one coach, one cheerleader, and I picked up the apothecary as well. Um, my thinking with the apothecary was to focus its use on my KOs so that I could keep them on the pitch, um, just in the off chance because I, I really didn't want to uh, be down on players as you know at any point. Um, in terms of skills, I don't think I did anything too imaginative. A mighty blow on of the Slayers, put block on the runner, and went with three guard on three of the dwarf blockers. So not 
not an imaginative dwarf list, but I wouldn't say bad in any sense. No, not at all. Um, you just reminded me I took a, an apple as well on my list. I don't know if I said that. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, it, it's weird because um, the dwarves were quite well represented on the day. I think there were several yes. dwarf teams. Um, and that and that really that really flew that really flew in the face of the statistics coming out of Alicante, where the the mo- I think the most picked team out of the, how many coaches are going to the World Cup? Lots. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> is it like is it are they up to two thousand? I think it's over two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So it was done crazy. Like so, of the two thousand coaches, I'm sure there's like five hundred dark elves turning up, isn't there? There's a lot of dark elves. Yeah. Yeah. But but it was very heavily weighted towards the dark elves. So when when we saw the list, all the rosters get uploaded, and we're like, "Uh oh, it's a dwarf off." Um, <laughs> but I I was, you know, I haven't played ta- physical tabletop for quite a while. But I've been playing dwarfs in the um, snail cup on fumble. So they yes. were the team I am most sort of in touch with uh, in terms of games. And as I said, I mean. That David um, played the most in recent years, so I wanted to um, channel some of his his spirit through there. And I have to say, I thank you. There were two players that that actually offered to drop out of the event to let me play if there were odd numbers. Uh, Mars M, a gentleman by the name of Martin Moffat, who who I'm not even sure if you you know this, but Myself and Martin first met back in like 1999. We've known each other for decades, um, yeah. on and off. But Martin offered to, to drop out, and um, McNugget, uh, Mark McNaughton, also offered to drop out. Um, should it be required? Just I think I think they both understood that it was. I, I felt it was important that I wanted to play, and I genuinely wanted to play. Um, and it was really lovely that it turned out the numbers were odd because we picked up we picked up a new Blood Bowl player on the Saturday before the event. <laughs> he was messaging myself, and I, I had to tell him it's like you're in, but I can't I can't do anything because I'm running this other event right now. But we got him sorted, so there were 44 players on the day, which was just brilliant. I was so chuffed to get to to get to um, to get to that number as a number to start building from. And I got to play because there was odd numbers. So that should take us to talking about game one. Yes. So game one for me was against uh, a gentleman called Gordon Batchelor, um, mm-hmm. who his NAF name's Batch001. Um, and he's a really nice guy. Uh, I was up against him in uh, the five Bs, the uh, Bobby Burns Blood Bowl Bash for the uh, Stunty Cup, and I pipped the, uh, him at the post in the last round to win it. So it wasn't like it was a grudge match or anything like that, but uh, it, the, there was underlying beef yep. <laughs> as a result of that. No, no I wasn't. He, he was great. He was an absolute, like, Lovely to play against. So, uh, what he was he using? Running, he was running dark elves, um, and he had a um, 
a team that comprised of just tell you this. You had four blitzers, a witch elf, an assassin, and uh one, two, three, four, five dark elves. He uh Lightman, rather. He had four rerolls. Wow, um, four rerolls. Well, yeah, I not sure it would be how I would go with Dark Elves, but um to be fair, it wasn't a bad choice. Um he um it was an odd game, so so he he kicked to me and I was uh um I was reasonably confident if I could get a couple of removals here and there, even if it was just KOs, uh, that I would be um, able to grind out an eight-turn score. Um, I think after a couple of turns, it became pretty obvious that that was going to be a bit of a challenge because I just couldn't knock his players down. I think the uh and given the fact that I had tackle um he had in, in terms of what he'd taken for the um for the um the skill composition he took three dodge blitzers a tackle blitzer who was effectively wasted skill in that game uh block witch elf and a dodge assassin now yeah, I'm sitting there thinking right okay well there's uh, like five players in there who've got, or six players rather in there who've got dodge, or, or whatever, five five players in there who've got dodge. Uh, I've got tackle, like, all over the team. I'm going to get hits on these guys, or they're going to fail a dodge somewhere. I barely knocked over players in the first couple of turns. I think on the line, I just pushed. It was all pushes, bar one, um, where I knocked somebody down. It took me till late on in the uh uh first half before I even got I think I got a KO on the uh um on the assassin. Uh but because I wasn't knocking anybody down or even seeing people uh um uh, not even bother bothering about KOing anybody because I wasn't even stunning anybody, he was able to reposition quite easily. You know, I mean, it's all two plus dodges. Even if you don't have the dodge skill, a two plus is isn't gonna fail that regularly. I mean, it's one in six there. So, um, and he just wasn't failing them either. Um, so it, the first half did not go according to plan, and I ended up not scoring. Ooh, um, really? Didn't so I'm that. like, right, okay. Well, that's not great. Uh, second half, I'm kicking to him. Um, boot the ball down the pitch, put a bit of pressure on him, force him to come forward quite early, actually. Um, and he, um, um, he kind of potatoed a little bit. He did tag a lot of my players up. Um, but, um, I managed to get um, a hit on the ball carrier, uh, which was just a one dice with a hobgoblin. Uh, and he was carrying on a, a lineman. So I was like, well, okay, like, 
even if I just knock him over and knock myself over, the ball's out of his hands uh, and like he's got to make a whole bunch of dodges because he's tagged my players up and fig fingers crossed something will fail along the lines. I got a push. I think I re-rolled it into another push uh, story of the game. Um, I pushed him back the way and then I thought, well, you know, like I can, if I get a four plus here, I can dodge a, a bull centaur out and park him on the uh, on the the next uh, thing. So it, it forces him to have to make uh, a four up dodge or uh, to score, or he's going to have to dodge players out and do stuff. Made the four plus yep. dodge, got the bull centaur on him. Um, handed the turn over to him. Um, he one dice blitzed the hobgoblin um, to then uh, into a push and he had I think he had no rerolls no he still had rerolls at this point but uh, and he rerolled and it was a push again so it worked, worked both both ways for us um, but that that gave him a 3 plus 2 plus route and like Elves are all are scoring that all day every day, you know. Like uh, I didn't have to tackle yeah. on him, uh, so he waltz through. But I mean, that that was like turn three or something like that, maybe, maybe yeah, turn three or four. Uh, and at this point, like I think neither of us had got uh, casualties by this point either. So that it was he was winning one nil, and um, we were both at. Um, back up to eleven players. I think I lost, had a couple of KOs in the first half as well, which helped uh, in terms of my movement because I was down on players and he he was absolutely fine. Um, so he was kicking to me again, and I just went up the pitch, went up the pitch, went up the pitch. Eventually, got a casualty turn seven of my of out of that half, and then scored turn eight. For a one-one on and one-one yep. on casualties, it was fairly uneventful. Um, I'm a bit like I say, I, I got kind of like a bit frustrated in the first half with uh, not just not getting any purchase on his team. I got a little bit more in the second half, but even then, you know, like tackle was just a fake skill the entire game. Like I was <laughs> hitting, I was hitting L's with dodge with tackle. And I was pushing them about. Uh, if I did knock them down, I wasn't breaking armor. Um, so it was just one of those games. Um, I think both of us played well with what we had to work with. I think I think I I probably had to work a lot harder to get the draw because of the circumstances than he did to get the draw. Because obviously yeah. he had a lot better first half than I had. But it was a good game. Yep. He was a, a nice guy to play against. It was uh, it was fun, well, um, and uh, if, I enjoyed it. With the with the Dark Elves defending, if they stopped you, if they stopped you on your drive scoring, then if, if I was in that position, I would be comfortable knowing that as a minimum, there's going to be a draw. Yeah, I think for, if for I, the Dark Elf. I think I, in hindsight, I probably should have tried dodging a tackle player out. Um, but it was that four plus dodge that was the problem. 
was like, well, yeah. I, I can't do that just now. I'm going to have to leave that till the end. And that was me being conservative, I think. Um, I probably could have uh, I could have got two dice on the ball with a tackle player and then had a tackle player on the on the ball carrier mm. and hopefully on the ball as well. My worry was he was on the sideline area, so I was pushing him onto the sideline, um, which would have, if the ball had bounced and it had gone somewhere uh, down one side of the pitch, he would have had a lot more chance of getting it than I would have as well. So it was just, yeah, I think he he played it fine. Um, I think he did the right thing. I think he maybe potatoed a little bit early and with the wrong player, because that could have gone spectacularly wrong uh, for him, especially mm -hmm. if he'd failed to dodge uh, on the next turn, because chances are I would have been picking that up, caging up, and then grinding my way down the pitch. Uh, and there would have yep. been more chance of me winning than him winning at that point. Um, so... Yeah, like I say, it was a good game. Uh, well, well played by him, and uh, a good. St despite it being a draw, a good start to the tournament because I, I didn't lose the, my first game. So, how about yourself? How was your first round? Um, well, first round, well, I, I mean, I did bump into Marzem. Um, it's his nap name, so it's Martin Moffat, and he was packing Skaven. So it was a very classic Skaven dwarf matchup. Uh, he had a rat ogre, two blitzers. He had the four gutter runners, and then it was one, two, three, four, five linemen, five clan rats. So he had a, a 12, 12 rat roster, a three rerolls, two fans, three assistant coaches, and an apothecary. Skill wise, he went for Juggernaut on the rat ogre, Mighty Blow on one of the blitzers, Guard on one of the other blitzers, and then he went for the, the full spectrum of skills on the gutter runners. One got block, one got wrestle, one got sidestep, one got strip ball. So he's it's very much a toolbox um, Skaven roster. Uh, I'm not unfamiliar with him having played Skaven quite a bit um, in the past. What it did for us though, I I got a really brutal uh, reintroduction to Blood Bowl. So I um, Weather was nice. I chose to receive. Uh, Kickoff table was um, officious ref. Uh, it fell to me, and I rolled a one, and one of my blitzers got sent off straight away. Oh, on nice. on the, it's just like you have got to be joking me, umpire. Um, so starting with ten guys on the pitch, and that. Uh, Blitzer opened up a bit of a gap. Was uh, it was a bit frustrating, but uh, I just went into I think I just went into autopilot, you know. So through the blocks, didn't get rid of anybody. Um, picked on some weak weaker meat with one of the troll slayers and um, chucked a blitz. Kept everybody on their feet. I don't think I did anything special, uh, so anything special for the first couple of turns, and just started the the slow grind forward with my cage, sort of swapping it from the left to the right, the left to the right wings. Um, you know, obviously at some point one of my boys went down, and you know, Mars M is a is a quality player, whatever team he's actually using, um, but he. Started doing some fouls uh, and managed to get somebody sent off. So that sort of started to bring the 
the player balance on pitch, you know, back towards my direction. I never actually got any casualties until the second half, but the KOs started to mount up for Martin, and uh, and that just opened the door for me to do a um, half cage on the sideline. I think I was around turn six, and then just pushed down one of the sides, um, and then managed to stall out uh, and score in my turn eight. So there was nothing, there was nothing special to write home about in the first half uh, for me, except that Martin did get a big laugh because I had to do a lot of a lot of the counting out in my head. And he could see that every time I was counting the movement of a of a dwarf blocker, I was counting six. <laughs> he's just like, he's just like classic, classic dwarf. It's like, yeah, yeah, they're moving six. And dead set, I must have made nine, uh, nine go for it, nine rushes in a row, all successful yeah. with different players. But I knew I needed to do that to keep the pressure moving forward. Um, with and my it was my runner that had the ball, they got it on the line. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. And when it came time to sorry this is where the, 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 the built in instinctive blood bowl skills were still there. Uh, so he got to set up for his turn eight and um you know put my three blockers on the line of scrimmage and then I just instinctively just put the roll uh, a couple of squares off the back line, knowing that he was going to set for a one-turn touchdown because he had all the tools to do it, um, which is what his skill package allows him as well. But he, as, as, as Martin was verbally talking himself through it, he's like, I should really be doing this with the, with the rattle. Oh, no, it's okay, I'll do this. And lo and behold, when he rolled the dice, I think it was the second block, he actually knocked the, knocked the, knocked the dwarf blocker down um, which which stuffed his his one turn touchdown attempt, but I was just nice looking at my, down at my pieces, knowing that I'd set an adequate defence for it. Moving into the second half, obviously he received, and um, now I knew I knew instinctively what he was doing. He sort of drew the ball back quite deep into his half, trying to draw me forward so that then he could explode around me uh, and I wouldn't be able to catch him up. And uh, I didn't fall into that trap. I had, I was, I think I verbalised quite a lot of what I was thinking during the game. And I, I said, it's like, well, look, Martin, I, I know that, you know, greed requires me to chase you down and try and, you know, try and get you, but I'm not going to do it. So there was at least a minimum of two turns uh, what would it be like? Turn so maybe sort of turns 10, 11, and 12, where there was none of our players were ever in base contact, except for his rat ogre. He couldn't get his rat ogre out from the, the line of scrimmage area, and I ended up battering him and knocking him out. Um, and I'm pretty sure I managed to pick off one of his blitzers as well uh, as a casualty. I like to, I like to think that, um, and what it meant was that I think it was around turn five. So I had not crossed the halfway line. He had pulled quite deep into his half, and it got to about turn five in the second half, and he knew 
but he had to explode forward to, to get over the line. He knew that he knew it was going to be a draw. I'm sure that's what he knew at this point. So he had to start flushing forward, pushing forward. Um, I managed to rack up another casualty. I'm pretty sure at this point. Um, but it, it was classic scaling stuff. He threaded the needle, got the guard runners down, found the gap. Um, but I, I, and this is where Martin made out. He made a mistake. Like it was, he almost cost him. I managed to get a troll slayer all the way back. You know, he was going for it like crazy, and um, and he did have to throw a block to put him down. And oh god, I can't remember what turn it was. Yeah, it was turn. It was it was Martin's turn seven, and he moved the ball carrier. He was like one square away from from crossing the line for a touchdown and he, he only moved the ball carrier a couple of squares and I said to Martin, it's like, mate, you're not going to score. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to wait. It's like, but he only, you've just put my troll slayer down. So when it got to my turn, put my troll slayer up a blitz with him and then he's just like, oh shit, I've made a mistake. Because he, he'd obviously forgotten that there was a miniature lying there or, or whatever was going on. I mean, my troll slayer stacked it. He did not he was not successful, and Martin scored straight away um, to finish the game one-one. But it was just that moment of for Martin. It was like you—you you really should have. I don't know why he didn't see that. Um, whether it was fatigue or early morning or whatever, but um, it, I was happy to start the start the tournament with a one-one game because um, I know that he's a excuse me, he's a good opponent, and we've we've played many times before, so. I was really chuffed to get away. I felt like I got away with a good result. Yeah, he was definitely um he was he's definitely been a lot stronger an opponent in the last couple of years, I think, as well. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that, yeah that I've cool. I've seen that from the tournament results from Scotland. So well, that was that was a good way to settle in. So it was a nice reminder about Blood Bowl and what a shit game it can be, getting a player sent off from the kickoff table. But whatever. Yeah, aye, that that that's weird. Did he get a player sent off as well the first half? Yeah, yeah, but he was fouling. He was actually trying to do something yeah. practical. Uh, he was trying to get somebody uh, like leverage more. Uh, Issues for you yeah. in terms of uh, having a player already had a player sent. Yeah. Right. So what was your game two, mate? My game two was against um, a guy called Mark Cowan, uh, whose uh, last name is Conal Maker. Um, he's a, a newer player from the Air Blood Bowl League. So, uh, but by newer player, I don't mean like uh, like brand new, brand new. He's been playing uh, the, this season, so he's I think he's been to about three or four tournaments. I think um, now. So he was running humans. Uh, his team was um, two throwers, two catchers. Four blitzers, an ogre, um, one, two, three, four linemen, and a halfling, and he had three rerolls, no apo. So four, fourteen players, um, which is quite a lot on a team. Uh, so I was yeah. thinking, right, okay, well, uh, removals are going to be essential in this one, and if I, my game goes anything like the last one, uh, 
that's going to be problematic. In terms of skills, he had guard on the ogre. He had mighty blow on two blitzers, um, sidestep on both catchers, and accurate on a thrower. Um, so not a a traditional um, human build. So no guard uh, other than the ogre itself. Um, this game was a bit more of a kind of flip side to the previous game. So. Uh, he uh, won the toss and decided to receive. Um, we got nice weather. Um, we got... Um, I, I booted the ball into his half. He picked it up turn one and decided to push aside and tried to pass and failed the pass. Um, so... That was like, all oh, right, okay. Um, it allowed me to kind of swamp him with players, um, and and sort of try and and push my team forward a bit uh, and around the ball. He did manage to get the ball back, um, and uh, tried to kind of maneuver away. But again, I got I got on top of him with that. Um, but my casualty rate was a lot better in the first half and my KOs were big as well. Um I think I'd casualtied um one of his mighty blow blitzers and one of the throw uh, the catchers fairly early on in the half. Mm-hmm. Um and then I KO'd a few of his players as well and he didn't get a couple of them back. I, I eventually popped the ball uh and picked it up and ground it down and then just beat his team up. I think he had three players on the pitch at the end of the half. Um and I just kept punching people. Um the so going into the second half I was in a pretty good position. Um I thought, you know, something he's not he he's not had as many of his KOs back, but uh, he's still got like 10 play- I think he still had like 10 players or, um, to set up with because obviously he had uh, um, uh, the 14 roster and I thought right fuck well he's still got 10 players um, I will have to score fairly quickly and if I do I've probably won the game Um tied it up because if, if I don't score uh early and drag it out he might get a couple of removals and the momentum swings and it could end up ended up in a draw, you know. Yeah. Um so I put I pushed forward a bit uh, but not like I didn't overexpose myself. Um I think I got another casualty and I thought okay well this is a bit more thing. Uh, I spent a wee bit of time tying up the ogre in both halves. I think I tied up the ogre pretty effectively. Um, He managed to get the ogre free and threw the half leg at the ball carrier. Uh, It hit the ball carrier dead on, knocked the ball carrier down, popped the ball. The half leg died. So, um, (laughs) but, but, 
uh, effect that was re- uh, needed uh, achieved. So he the ball was loose. Um, he managed to kind of sw- sort of sw- get a bunch of players in, but none of them sort of close enough to the ball. Like he tried to dodge into a tackle zone to get the ball on a four up, I think. Maybe it was a, f- a five up. Fluffed it. Uh, the ball bounced. I managed to kind of pop uh, a bunch of his players out of the way, get the ball again, and just slowly but surely kind of managed to wait my way back up the pitch, and I won 2-0 on that one. Uh, And I'd been kind of chewing through his team again in the second half a wee bit um, to do that. Uh, But he, he didn't... He made some interesting choices in terms of like trying to push aside too quickly. I think um, in the first half, uh, but he didn't play badly. Um, I, thought, I thought he still played well with what he had. Um, I wouldn't have chosen the team that he chose, but you know, it's one of these things that if somebody's used to playing something a particular way and it works with their play style, then that's fine. You know, you can't, you can't. There will definitely be builds that are completely suboptimal, uh, mm-hmm. but if that might, if that mighty blue, if both those mighty blue blitzers had been doing work, um, then that could quite easily have been worth worth the yep. the investment. Um, I don't think the sidestep on the catchers on both of them was necessary, um, and the accurate the thrower was was probably wasted as well. I think he'd probably been better reinvested those two into guard on two on the other two blitzers. Um, so he at least had the ability to kind of cope with my three guard. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a decent enough game as well. Um, so I'm sitting on one one zero now going into game three. How was mm-hmm. your um, How was your second game? Game two, I bumped into Shrike. Who is Callum Morrison, I believe, is it not? Yes. Yes. He's he, one of yours. Yes, he's an Aberdeen player and uh yeah. he was on the UKTC team for two guys, one dice cup, not this yeah. year, but the year before that. So Callum Callum was also one of the Megatroners. He was playing both days, so he had um I'd spent the previous day watching some of his games just because he had a really unique army. Um and we've had shared a few laughs. So I was I was really happy to be playing Callum because um, I'd met him before. We'd already had interactions. What I was really disappointed was that he had dwarfs. So, mm-hmm. so it was a dwarf off. But when I got to look at his roster, it was a it was pretty special. So Callum had Callum had gone for quite a different um, package. And uh, look, let's just cut straight to the chase. So on his roster, he had one Troll Slayer. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight Dwarf Blockers. And two Dwarf Blitzers. And he had Griff Overwalled. <laughs> uh, with one reroll and one dedicated fan. Um, and because of the skill, the, the, the package he selected he didn't get any skills to give to his players um but he had griff the consummate professional um 
And it's it's funny, um, I mean, obviously I'm going to start telling the story about the game, but uh, one of the things that I didn't know that um, Tour Play did was that it generated the weather. So in the pregame stuff, I'm rolling the dice for fans and what have you. And um, I, I said to Callum, it's like, oh, should we roll for weather? And he's like, no, no, mate, it's okay, it's that. And I looked down, it's like, oh, we got a blizzard. I was like, well, we're both dwarfs. <laughs> Doesn't matter, does it? Because um, we're not going to... I, I, if I, I can, I'll happily scale back all my go for it because I, I feel like I've spent all that currency the previous game against against the Skaven. Yeah. Um. So we we so we got on with the game. I throw the appropriate dice and I won the toss and I thought you know what kick to me. Um. So received the ball, threw a bunch of blocks. Um. Nothing really effective happened. Just sort of cleared my line of scrimmage. And um, got somebody back to help cover the the ball carrier. Moved the runner over, scooped up the ball. It's like, okay, got the ball in hand. Line of scrimmage is cleared. Screen up front. Pass it on to to Shrike. So Shrike obviously knew what he was doing with his roster. Um, cleared a gap on the on the line of scrimmage, and then just. Fired Griff straight through the middle, and I think he only had to make one dodge. And it was at that point I just thought, "Oh shit!" Because Griff just came barreling down like an absolute missile, um, and uh, but then he started doing his go for it's, his rushes. So first rush was a three plus. Second rush was a three plus, and then the third rush, um, he rolled a one, spun his re roll, rolled a two, and then I, then he moved them. Then I'm like, oh mate, it's a blizzard. And look in Callum's face was like, oh no, it's a blizzard. And then I just, you know, it's coming now. I loaded up the dice, spun them, both nailed them down, broke armor. I wasn't looking at Callum. I was looking at the dice because I scooped them out again, nailed them down, pulled them back, and it was double sixes. And it's like, oh, he's fucking dead. And, and I couldn't stop myself screaming out to the whole room with both hands flailing in the air. Griff's dead. I've killed fucking Griff. Woo. All cheers. I apologize to Callum, and I'll apologize to him again on this podcast that I. Did not mean that to be done in an unsporting or table talk or psyching out manner. I was genuinely, genuinely enthusiastic about watching Griff die for slipping on the ice. And he deserved it. Fucking Griff. And Callum, I'm 100% know that he took took that on board for what it was. Um, and, and he even mentions, like, Griff does deserve to die quite a lot. But what that meant for Callum, sadly, was that his playmaker, everything about his team, disappeared on his yes. turn one. And and what that meant was, in physical raw numbers, I'm, I'm a player up. I've got three guard and two mighty blow that are just going to start to grind down on on your team. And and that and that is generally all that happened. I'm not going to talk about the ins and outs of the game because it was just a, it was just a grind for me to put the touchdown over. Um, 
picked up. I felt like when I was rolling the dice, I rolled, obviously I rolled lots of blocks. And it was just because of the raw number of two dice blocks I got to roll. I therefore got to roll, I got successes and got to roll. I felt like I rolled lots of armor, but I'm sure statistically I rolled that many blocks. I was due, you know, X amount of successful blocks to go through, and therefore X amount of those successful blocks would contribute to a KO or a casualty. Um, or, or stunning players. And what it meant for Callum was that every time he got a chance on me, it was usually, uh, there was usually like three one dice blocks he would have to do to, to fight his way to get a two dice block on any of my players. Um, and so it was, it was just time. Um, so the, the game ended 2-0 to myself. Um, I actually only put two casualties on him, but his KO bin was, was quite healthy. Um, and he always had, you know, a number of players that were stunned. And it also got to the point where it wasn't worth his time standing players up. Uh, just because at this point I was pushing players to the sidelines to, to surf them off. Um, so it wasn't worth his time standing up. And, and I could spend some of my players, I could waste my players by just standing next to them. Because um, there was nothing else for them to do. So, yeah, Griff dying pretty much was the the first and final coffin um, on that match. So, similar to yourself, uh, a draw and a win going into the final round. Yeah, that, that Griff uh, build uh, is very much, uh, if it goes wrong, it goes wrong spectacularly uh, because you are literally just a shit dwarf team uh, yeah. if Griff goes off. I, uh, I played him with my Chaos Dwarves uh, versus his Griff build in a practice game about mm-hmm. maybe two or three weeks before uh, Mega Bowl and beat him 3 0 with them uh, because Griff uh, wasn't doing what he needed to do as well. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, when it goes wrong, it goes wrong big time. Okay, cool. so my, my, ga- my game three. So, We'd actually spent most of the, the tournament by this point playing in very close proximity to each other. We had, yeah. Because I, I was on table nine for both my uh, first two games, and you were on table... I was on uh, table 10 for my first 10, game. First one, and then table 11 for the second one. Yep, so two, yeah, that sounds two, about right. Two tables away from each other. Um at worst uh, through the entire tournament because we were two tables away from each other in round three as well. It was very close because we'd both finished on the same uh, by the end of round two on the same thing with a win and a draw each. We, I was secretly hoping for a a, a, a podcast face off, um, and it was it could have it could have happened. Unfortunately, yep. it did not though. Uh, no, I, it, it didn't I, happen. Yeah, yeah, it didn't happen. Un, un, unfortunately, I I think I would have enjoyed a, a, having having a game against you, even even if I'd lost or or whatever the outcome had been. But um, I was on table five for, or was it table six? Table six for the last uh, last game, and I was playing 
um, one of the stunty teams. So the stunty teams had a good a good go on this uh, tournament. I think uh, the, it was a it was a, a, a the Alicante rule pack is 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 quite good for for stunty teams. Um, so I was playing a guy called Andrew and his snotlings. His naff name I'm going to butcher this right now. Uh, Batusia Gogo. Um, <laughs> but can I interject quickly? This gentleman, um, Andrew Rafferty. Yes. Uh, I uh, picked his team for Best Mended. Yes. And I thought it was lovely. It was a really nice job he's done. Um, and he got the the ammo um, by Mike Jimenez voucher, um, plus a few other little odds and ends. So congratulations to Andrew for that. Good behind the paintbrush. Yes, it was, Phil, it, was, it was a nicely painted team. Yeah. yeah, Phil will tell us how good he was behind the block dice. Uh, right, so I mean, he'd obviously been doing not too bad uh, the, the previous two rounds because uh, he was up on table six. So I think he had a similar sort of uh, record to yourself and, and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we rolled the weather. It was nice. Oh, I'd better talk about his team first. Yeah, uh, can we interject with a quick one here? He beat um, he beat Marky Mark in the first round. <laughs> yes, he absolutely thumped McNugget in the first round, uh, which which is hilarious. Uh, oh, um, so he um, he had two trolls, um, a pump wagon, two stilty runners, a fungus flinger. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine snotling linemen. And he took Varag Gulchur as a star player. He also had three rolls and riotous rookies and a bribe. So there's a lot of tools involved in there. Um, he had, in terms of uh, skills, he'd gone with guard on both trolls. He had pile driver on the pump wagon, which was an interesting choice. Uh, sure feet on both the stilty runners and pass on the fungus flinger, um, which uh, is a, is a good plan, I think. Um, so we rolled the weather; it was fine. Riotous rookies and rolled two ones, uh, which meant he only got three extra players, um, which is a good thing considering how many you can end up getting on riotous rookies. Uh, so I was like, well, that's great. So he's only got uh, like 19 players as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to 16. <laughs> um, so I'm like, well, that, that that's great. Um, we'll see how this works out um, in terms of removals and stuff. Because again, snotlings are, they're, they've got loads of dodge. Uh, no, no, um, offensive skills like block and no defensive use of block either so i'm like well this isn't this might not be too bad for me um so um i won the toss and i i elected to receive um thinking right okay well i i can probably uh smack his team around a little bit um and we'll see what happens um so we got um we got playing um i think the first hit i had on a snotling exploded it and it was gone 
I had yeah. a bunch of, uh, the next couple of hits I had uh, over the next couple of turns I had uh, a few KOs um while while this was going on he was throwing bombs at me with the fungus fling out and failing miserably doing it it kept going like uh, uh awry or hitting uh, where it was supposed to be and then not knocking down any of my players so thankfully that uh, didn't hurt and eventually i got a hit on the fungus fling out and uh, badly hurted it so it was gone uh, regardless of whether he had uh, um a bribe or not um but that was towards the end of the half i ground down the pitch and i scored turn eight uh which gave uh unfortunately he got a, a few of his ko's back but he and he still had a few quite a few players um anyway so that meant that he didn't have to put on the uh pump wagon uh for the um uh the turn uh, or he could put it on and then use the bribe. Um, so he didn't put it on until the second half. Uh, he failed his um, through teammate attempt to, to equalise. Um, so I was kicking to him. And he still had a full team. Uh, he was getting, I think, I think he had, he had two extra players from swarming in the first half. But he only got one extra player from swarming in this in the second half. Um, he the ball the ball went quite shallow. He failed the pickup, but it bounced behind uh, Varag. Um, I kind of came forward a bit, um, punched a, a couple of players, and um, he. Um, had an opportunity again to pick up the ball in the next turn failed but then it bounced into Varag's hands and I'm like oh for fuck's sake like because Varag was in two tackle zones needed a six to to catch it and he caught it um so I'm like well okay I, he's got the ball now if he if he has the ball and I can't get it out of his hands um, it's gonna be a, a it's gonna be a draw because he could just easily walk that up the pitch. So I had to play quite um, spicy at that point, and I thought, you know, I've got two guard players either side of him. If I hit the ball, uh, hit him with a bull centaur, um, and knock him down, then I can put quite a bit of pressure on here. Um, and I thought, right, well there we go. I'm gonna give that a bash. Fired the bull centaur forward. I think I rolled a push and a skull, and I thought, I've got three rerolls. This is worth a reroll. Knocked Varag down, straight through the armor, casually. <laughs> so, it's like, yes, the main, the main, uh, the main threat's gone. You know, like now, now the ball's out of his hands. Um and he's not on the pitch, so even better. You know, he, I was I was hoping for it getting out of his hands because once it was back in a snotling's hands, I could I could uh, kind of tie Varag up a bit and and go stuff. I, I I forgot to say the first half I tried fouling uh, Varag off and got sent off. I had a plus seven foul on uh, on Varag <laughs> and uh, I don't think I even broke armor. 
no, I did. I stu- I stunned him again, but I got sent off uh, on it. So I was like, lost a hobgoblin. Um, if I'd removed him in the first half, it would have been even better uh, for me. Um, so that kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit, uh, taking him out. And it forced him into, forced Andrew into making a, a snap decision to push aside. And I think that was a mistake, really, uh, because it kind of, I managed to hem him in and he couldn't get past. And I tied up the trolls and he was knocking down uh, players, but they weren't, they weren't, it wasn't, there was no armor breaks. It was all just a case of, oh, I'll stand that dwarf back up. Uh, I've got a hobgoblin directly behind them. Uh, so, yeah, he can try dodging through, but there's tackle here and there. And, there's multiple tackle zones he's got to dodge through. Um, so he's going to be rolling a lot of dice. So he then decided um, to take a, a run around the other side. I think he'd moved a player into position and he thought, well, if I can get around the other side, Phil's committed quite heavily over to the other side. Uh, but I think he forgot how uh, much um, the... Uh, the bull centaurs and stuff could move. Uh, so I'd, I'd managed to reposition the bull centaur back into the middle. So, and all his stuff was still committed to one side. And there was just this other guy up the top. I managed to get a, a chaos dwarf free, hit the ball carrier, knock the ball out and have the, I think I got rid of the stilty runner at that point. Um, I got the um, the t- a tackle player on the ball. I tied up the troll that was nearby, and I had my bull centaur free and a hobgoblin free as well. Um, he had a chance to pick up the ball again. It would have been a three plus and then a two plus dodge out. But I mean, even if he'd managed to do that, I was breathing down his neck with a tackle player and um I had the uh um the bull centaur to take a three dice on him anyway, you know, it's, it's like with block. So uh, the chances of him getting away were not not high. I think I still had my two rerolls at that point. Um so I just uh I punted that player off with the um um with the tackle guy after he failed to pick up the ball, um, picked up the ball with a hobgoblin, ran forward, um, and was at the mercy of. Um, I mean, I, I knew he could get a two dice uphill on the ball carrier, um, so there was no way he couldn't get a two dice uphill on the ball carrier because he could get a a snotling free and take a hit on the ball carrier. He hit the ball carrier with two dice uphill and rolled, I think it was uh, both down and a pow. And I was like, well, I'll take the both down then because uh, at least we're both getting hit then. Uh, I took his guy off and uh, my guy was fine. And it was a case then of, well, all I have to do is remove the snotling that he'd put in for an assist and then 
pick up the ball again and score. I still, I, I, had, I had two hobgoblins uh, up, one of them in scoring range. Uh, I didn't have a reroll uh, at this point. I think uh, I hit um, the the snotling out of the way, knocked him down. Uh, he bounced. He, he sidestepped on, uh, onto the ball. The ball bounced. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a bad position, but it still meant I had to make a go for it um, after picking up the ball. Uh, to score a second, and I failed to pick up the ball, and it finished one nil. But it was it was it was a really fun game. There was a lot going on. There was some big moments. It was a nice finish to the day uh, for me. So finished on two one zero. And how about your Good. third game? Oh, third game for me. So I encountered Scott Patton, um, who is also Jack H as his nap name. So I, I instantly know, hugely experienced quality player in front of me, and he's playing dwarfs. So it was another dwarf off, um, having just come from a dwarf off. But uh, Scott had put together a, a different style of dwarf team that I, I have seen done with other teams, but not with dwarfs. Um, Roster-wise, he's got two blitzers. He's got two runners, he's got two slayers, and one, two, three, four, five. He's got the six linemen. So he's got a 12-man roster. Uh, Skill-wise, he's gone for two guard on uh, the blitzers. He's got three guard on dwarf blockers. And one of the dwarf blockers is a dirty player. So... Uh, he's got two readers, two dedicated fans, one coach, and a bribe. So he's fully intended on using that dirty player in association with the five guard that will afford him some extra help stomping on faces. Um, I won the toss, so elected to receive the ball. Uh, just thought I could start throwing blocks first. And Line of scrimmage was all two dice blocks, and it was a skull push, skull push, skull push. So just nobody on their deck, no no armor rolls, no nothing happening. Um, I then, with my Slayer, picked up some, picked the target, got my Blitz on, um, just to start sort of pushing up one side, um, you know, trying to sort of set the set where my cage was going to form and start moving it down that direction. Um, but again, it was all skull push, skull push. Nobody going down, so... Uh, so Scott reacted as he would. Threw a couple of blocks. Um, so he, he he was only in base contact with, with the Slayer, so blocked him, put him down, swarmed him, stamped on his head, KO'd. Um, but he had to use his bribe to keep his dirty player on for that one. Uh, and then there's not a lot of excitement you can talk about when two dwarf players play each other. But what really frustrated me was that my block dice just did not perform. I wasn't putting any dwarfs on the deck to roll armor rolls for any sort of real reason. And the issue became that because I wasn't putting anybody down, 
and he had five guard against my three guard. He got to roll more two dice blocks and he was putting dwarfs on the deck and he was breaking armor and he was stunning players very much in the same sense as what I did to Shrike in game two. I was rolling more two dice blocks, therefore I was putting more dwarfs down, therefore I got to roll more armor. That's exactly what happened with Scott Patton. Um, you know, when at some point uh, I got a casualty stuck on me, um, which was one of my guard pieces. Um, so, you know, down to two guard versus five. Uh, and I'm losing losing players to to stun. There was always at least two players were stunned, you know. So they weren't activating. So he he defended my my um, my drive quite comfortably, and then he just ground back um, straight back at me. Uh, I'm pretty sure at some point he he did get his dirty player sent off because he rolled. He rolled a double again. Um, so he lost the dirty player. But he had the bench and he still had five guard. Um, and so it was... And it was just... The second half was just a repeat of the first half where my block dice just weren't performing. And to get to a two dice block, I had to throw, you know, throw a minimum of two one dice blocks. And it was just trying to work out those those odds for myself. Um, you know, I, I can't really, really even talk about the positionals that we we got ourselves in because it was just a dwarf grind against each other. But the final thing, and and, and I <laughs> I got caught up swapping block dice out for other block dice. I borrowed Scottish block dice, um, and they still didn't do anything for me. Uh, mm. it, that was the frustrating thing. So I think all my D6 rolls were, were a completely average. But my block dices were not delivering me anything. And then at the very end, so he's he's grounded down. And he's um, one of his runners. What was his roster again? One of your little runner dudes has got the ball. And I managed to um, to get my runner... Now, what was the seize of dice I had to make? A 5-plus dodge, a 5-plus dodge, a 4-plus dodge, a 3-plus dodge. That's 4. Every dice roll, so it's 5, 5, 4, 4, 3. Then a move. Then it was... 4, what was it? Go for it, 4-plus dodge, go for it. So there was what nine dice rolls? Five five four four. Five five four four three three two four two to get a one dice block in the ball carrier. No re-rolls. Made those nine dice rolls in a row and then sculled it. Oh, I, I, I was just absolutely, absolutely speechless. Um any any other result would have, you know, a push would have at least made him have to roll some dice. Um, and I'm quite sure at this point he didn't have any rerolls left either. Uh, you know, both down would have put the ball carrier down. Obviously, Pow, um, defender stumble, um, or 
as my block dice had delivered throughout the entire game, they were terrible, and I got the skull right in my face. So it was it was the end of the game. It was frustrating, but it was exactly what Blood Bowl is expected to be. That I should never have ever made it to the block dice on that series of dice rolls. Um, and, and and it was like to to sort of sandwich Blood Bowl together with, you know, the first thing that happened to you was you got a player sent off in the first game, and the last thing that happened to you was, you know, five, five, four, four, three, blah, 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 all those good dice rolls, and then skull it, it's like, yes. And in between all of that was a Blood Bowl tournament, and it's exactly what I remember, and I loved it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, bloody Blood Bowl. So that, so where do we all end up? So out of the 44 players, that stuck me in 16th, which from a first Blood Bowl tournament back in the, in the, in the trenches, I'll take that. Yeah, that, that was good for, uh, for getting back into the thing. Um, yep. And I finished in fifth. So I was yeah. Um, top of the dwarf teams as well. Yep. Well, bad, you finished bad just dwarfs. Bad dwarfs. But yeah, you finished just, <laughs> yeah. just ahead of Scott. Yeah, I so um the the, the good well, those casualties you racked up in the last game would have really helped that one. Uh yeah, I in terms of our um um tiebreakers. Uh, tiebreakers, yeah. My casualties in the last game definitely made a difference for that. Because we were the same with uh, our, our touchdown um difference. Um, but yeah, I mean that's just the way cookies crumble on these ones. You know, you can't um, really play what's in front of you. I don't know what else he was yep. playing. He played dwarves, lizard men, and corn. So I mean, there's opportunities with what he got to uh, to get things. There's a fair amount of armor eight plus players on a corn team and a lizard man. Yep. I think yeah. the tactic that the tactic that Scott was doing with the dirty player, the bribe, and the multiple guard—if that was his key removal tool—then those casualties didn't count towards the the tiebreaker. That's true. Yeah. Um. So I think it was a, it was a good one for Aberdeen teams as well because we had five yep. players at the top. Uh, sorry, three players at the top five. Uh, myself in fifth. Uh. Sean Gray, whose naf name is Spooner, in third, took Lizard Men. And the overall winner was uh, Liam Andrew, uh, whose naf name is Philby. Uh, and mm-hmm. he won with Snotlings. Yep. Yeah. That was, yeah, a, that uh, was a really good event. Uh, he, uh, just, just for folk talk, uh, thinking about the World Cup rosters, he was running Hackflem and Varag. And I think that was just working like a treat, like the entire tournament for him. He was getting the removals with Varag and Hackflem. So yeah, um, it was really good, really good tournament. Yep. It, was, uh, it was fun to play. What I, what I have to say is the, the Blood Bowl, Mega Bowl side of things, we had a nice little cottage sponsor there as well. Um, already mentioned Ammo by Meg Jimenez and Demonscape, and um, they both provided product for um, for the Mega Bowl. But uh, Lamasu, Charlie Victor, Madden Max, 
Tunga Miniatures, Footsore, KO Design, uh, yourself from Granite Miniatures. Yes. You provided a team and some big guys as prizes, so thank you personally for that. It was um, it truly was really appreciated. And Custom Patriot Games. Now, they came up with uh, the first place prize, which was a, a Blood Bowl neoprene pitch um, that had our Megatron picture that we've been using uh, printed on the on the middle of it, um, which I, I personally thought was a fantastic prize. So thank you for uh, for that from Custom Patriot Games. It was greatly appreciated. And uh, Mr. Andrew walked away with that with his cheeky snortlings and all the bad guys that he brought with him. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was good. It was a good laugh. Um, yep. And you know what? I'm going to say this now. I mm -hmm. am going to attend next year for sure. Yep. Unless I die between now and then. That'd be sad. But seen as though it's also like sounds like it's, it was a good day on the Saturday I'll chuck my hat into the ring for attending my oh, first bolt action event as well no Phil you're going to be a yeah. Megatroner oh man yeah. I'll give it a bash um, I, I'm not like I, I like the rule set on bolt action I'm, just, I'm not keen on the subject matter but yep. uh, I'm sure I can put that Aside for a, a day and uh, yep. give it and just attend. You legend. Well, it yeah. is going to return. I have already booked the venue and we will be back on August the 10th and 11th, 2024. We'll be doing it all over again. And, yeah. and talking about next year. So it will be year three for bowl action and year two for blood bowl. And I, I've set the goals for myself. So bowl action is 46 players. That's the cap. That's the max the venue can hold. So I'm going to hold through and try and fill it again for 46 players. For blood bowl. So we had 44 players this year. I would like to see us push that to 60. 60 players for next year. Yep. Uh, the venue can hold that comfortably. But what I truly would love to see, and you've just committed to it, um, but I would like to see at least 16 players do both days to compete for the Megatron Cup. Those, those are the goals in terms of player numbers and player interactions I would really love to see happen um, and, and that, that's my goal uh, in terms of player pack the bolt action pack is very firm now in the community um, and it's been used elsewhere in the world which is really really nice you know for something that I've created and come up with They've, it's, it's been well received elsewhere but that player pack is set the only thing I'm going to do is change out two of the missions. They'll still be from the rulebook because that's important that it's that it's printed missions from Warlord games that are used so that they're ac easily accessible by everybody. Um, but for Blood Bowl, I'll, I, I want to put more of my not not more of my focus, but 
more of the energy I've got into the Blood Bowl side of things, because year one is always just get it set up, get it established. Year two is to try and give it some growth and some identity. And what I would like to do is come up with a unique player pack for Blood Bowl. Not, I don't want to try and reinvent the wheel, but something that gives it, its, gives it the Meg Roll its unique character in the same way that the Megatron 3000 as a unique character for bolt action. Um, and I need to pick people's brains to find out how how that can be done or what it is that could be done. But I'm very firm in that I want to use tour play again just because it's an absolute fantastic system to use. And um, once it's up and running um, and I've got a better understanding of it, um, you know, it almost, almost runs itself. Um, so that because there are some takeaways from the day, I haven't run a Blood Bowl event since you and I ran Granite Bowl two and three or three and four, whatever ones it was. Uh, two and three, two and three. So that's a number of years ago. So I need to get a feel for what the community is after, and also for the, the sort of event I would like to see run with the, the, the sort of Megatron brand thing that seems to be happening now. Um, but yeah, there's a few takeaways from the day uh, that I can improve upon. Um, but those, those, those are my sort of final thoughts on the weekend. But I, I can't wait to do it again. Brilliant. So happy. Yeah, it was, yeah, good, it was a good day um, and good weekend by all accounts. Yep. So I, 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 I'm up next with uh, Granite Bowl. It's in October. I'm looking forward to that as well. Hopefully yeah. I don't have to play it this year. Well, yeah, you don't want to win it again this year, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no. The only, at the moment, I'm, I'm sold out at the moment on 40 um, for attendance. Um, and I've still got a waiting list. And if anybody is listening and wants to go on the waiting list, just give me a shout because... Um, I'm still looking at ways I can possibly kind of bump up the numbers. Um, so um, if you do want to go on the list, let me know. Uh, and, and there's always a chance there'll be dropouts. So the only the only way I'll end up playing at the moment is if somebody drops out on the day. Um, yep. In which case, I'll have to make sure I've got a team available. Yep. Um, That's something else I want to um, want to highlight that I might not talk about in other podcasts and, and YouTube videos I'm going to do about this weekend. With, with the bolt action and with Blood Bowl, once the, once the refund threshold is passed, so if you drop out and you've passed it, you know, I can't give you a refund. It's always, it's my policy, and always has been my policy, that I don't resell that ticket because it's already been paid for. I have got what I guess the term is a golden ticket policy and that I will then just give it away because I I don't have money to refund the player. That's gone to the venue and to all the other ex- expenses. Um, you know, it's written into the player pack somewhere that if the player wants to give his ticket to someone else or sell it to someone else, they can. But if, if they drop out, I just give it away. I'm not. I'm not double dipping into the community for more money to go into a prize pool because by that point, 
all the prizes are set. I, I have spent the money. So any other money that comes in after that is just, you know, it's pointless. The budget's done, you know, open and closed. So I am um, for the Megatron 3000 this year. Tickets went on sale in October 2022. And in between that day and the Friday before the event, I had 17 dropouts. Yeah. Um, but only one of them crossed into, sorry, only two of them crossed into the golden ticket uh, window. And both those golden tickets were picked up within, I think, 30 minutes of being advertised online. But it was just the number of dropouts, and they all had you know, family reasons, health reasons, you know, wife says no reason, <laughs> calendar miscalculation reason. Um, but I think for me, it was the volume of players that were willing to come that, that, that just made it, you know, even more exciting. The, the, the potential is always there. So, you know, the bolt action community should be, and within Scotland, should be quite happy with itself that the number of players out there that are willing to go to events could be in the region yeah. of 60 or 70 players that are willing to commit to go to an event. And that can only be a good thing. And I think. That was reinforced even more by the the Blood Bowl um, community, and that it, the Mega Bowl was a new event to them, and and quite a lot of players would recognise me, and obviously they'll recognise Ant, so they know the you know good sensible names in the community behind it. But to have 40, 44 buff, I guess discount myself, but forty three players there on its first year of running was was excellent. And when you mentioned your number, you've got 46, 46 players. For forty players at the moment. Forty players. Um, but I guess, I guess what you know, people outside of Scotland never really take into account is that people don't enjoy. No, not, not don't enjoy. But going up at Aberdeen always feels like a chore for some people, even though it's like a two and a half, maybe three hour drive from different areas of the central belt of Scotland. So to be able to draw players to Aberdeen to get those numbers in the north is, is a great achievement as well. Yeah. I think I think because you've you've done the, the reverse as well. I mean folk folk always forget that we as a group up in Aberdeen uh generally attend a, pretty much all the tournaments that are going on in Scotland yep. and we're doing the two and a half to three hour drives uh yes. for all those tournaments. So yeah, I lived with you guys up there in Aberdeen for four years and attended events yeah. for for Blood Bowl and Bolt Action during all that time from there. So it's good to see that that more people are making the journey up here. Um uh, and I think um uh, that's that's a good that's a good thing. Uh, but I do yeah. I do think a lot of the time, I mean that that could be that could be better, you know. I I think if, like, I I could put uh, I I could open up the cap, and possibly get a few more. What what we struggle for in in Scotland is people from England pulling their finger out their arse and going over the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of places in England that are very close to the central belt who could where they could easily attend. Uh, and a lot of English players don't, which is a shame. But I think that's mostly because there's so much going on any given Saturday uh, in England 
blood bowl wise that they, they're spoiled yep. for choice and they're spread thin you know like we did have uh, a couple of uh, english players up at both uh mulligans and um glasgow as well um but mulligans was won by yudlagar uh the uh near legendary goblin coach um so he's i think he's based down around uh south in newcastle between newcastle and york or something like that i'm probably mm-hmm. completely wrong with that but i get the impression he's from that area and then we had alex um and barney up from uh the water bowl league for glasgow um so it's good to see that there are a few folk drifting north um but I'd, I'd like to see more next next year and i would actually like to see some non-scottish players up in aberdeen at some point as well which would be grand but yep. i appreciate it. it's a long way uh but yeah we go we go to now but it's it, and stuff but that was that was one of the things that transpired though this year with the megatron cup weekend i had three I had six bolt action players from England come up to play. Yeah. And and three of those crossed over into Blood Bowl and did and and well got the winner of the Megatron Cup was was English. He took it away with them. Down south. I think the I think the benefit you have there though is that you've already got a fairly captive audience and if they're coming up for one day, chances are they're staying overnight on the Saturday anyway. Yeah. So staying uh to play on the Sundays maybe not so much of a hard task, yeah. you know, and but the bowl is is not as big as the uh, as the no. blood bowl community. No, so. not at all, not at all. But yeah, the, what, what I'm hoping is that more of those bolt action players will decide to pick up blood bowl very much the opposite way that you're going. Your blood bowl picking up bolt action, and that that will then feed the blood bowl side of things. With a um, an extra sorry a, a different stream of player from the regular players, you know. So say a regular bowl, a regular blood bowl event in Scotland could get fifty players, but if I've converted some other players, you know, just for that weekend, then that might add another ten players to that pool, and it expands that that little community um, on that particular day. So I've I've got goals, yeah. <laughs> and the ultimate goal is people have a good weekend. So. Yes, yeah, as as it should be for any tournament. Yeah. You, know, you want your people who are attending to enjoy themselves, and and the testament to that is, uh, did everybody from uh, position one down to uh, wooden spoon enjoy themselves? You know, like if you can still, if you've got your your last place player still enjoying the the game after that uh, awful weekend of of their game performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've enjoyed the tournament itself, uh, then that that's a, a good place to be in, which is great, yep. I think. But yeah, it's really well, healthy with... up in Scotland at the moment. Uh, we're, we're, we've got quite a quite a solid scene now, and and we're we've, we're doing well at national tournaments outside Scotland as well. So people got to take notice. Got to take notice yep. of the Scots. And with that, mate. I think we might be able to wrap up this episode of Two Guys, One Dice Cup. What do you think? Yeah. 
You got any plans for next month in terms of painting? Next month, um, I I need to prep for the Scottish Bolt Action Nationals, and yeah. I think it's going to be a tough, tough event to win because. Uh, I've seen the current player list. It's small, but it's of the ten players currently signed up, eight of them are from England, and there are some of the top players from England that are travelling up for it. Um, sorry, that's a lie. Six are from England, two are from Denmark. So it's uh, going to be all hands on deck to try and get a Scottish winner this year. Um, so I need to do a little bit of prep for that. And that is my focus, and I am readjusting my hobby space to try and make it a little bit more user friendly. Uh, am I going to say it? I'm going to say it. I am going to get the 3D printer out of the box. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Commit. Commit to it. I'm committed. I'm committed. To be fair, as we sign off this podcast, I can't wait to hear the next five minutes of you when you tell me what you're going to try and do for this bull action thing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, mate, have you, right, yeah. what's your plan for next month before we draw a line on it? Um, so I, a lot of this month's going to be painting my own stuff. So I'm hoping to paint, well, I need to paint a Demon Prince uh, this coming week for a 40k game at the weekend. Um, so that I should be able to get that done. And then I want to paint a Night Tyrant for 40k as well. Uh, one of these Chaos Knights. Um, so that that's a plan. And then I'm, I'll probably uh, intersperse a bit of Chaos Dwarf action in there as well for the old Hammer Army. Um, so I'm hoping to get at least some of that done by the next episode. And then after that, I'll be into commission time again. But yeah, I'm, I've not got any Blood Bowl tournaments now until Granite Bowl. Uh, they all, uh, the other ones that are between now and then uh, were not uh, on dates I could make or uh, had ridiculously low uh, attendance uh, caps, um, yep. which sold out really, really quickly before the event had even really kind of been advertised, to be honest. So... Uh, yeah, so um, I'll be uh, Granite Bowl in October. So yeah, next time we speak, it'll only have been league games I've been playing, and yep. hopefully I get a decent amount of painting done. Cool. Yep. Well, so on that note, from myself, from two guys on Dice Cup, good night, goodbye, good afternoon. See you next time. Catch you later.